0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it you can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: We've been going through, uh, we've been doing a series uh, entitled, Does Conduct Count? And it might sound kind of weird, especially if you're kind of just coming to our church, just joining in, um, do, what do you mean does conduct count? Of course, conduct counts. It's, you know, this is Christianity, for crying out loud. Uh, if you remember, you know, Barna Research has a, a poll that, that the, 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 the uh, results of the poll was that 81% of Christians believe that Christianity is just going through the Bible, finding the rules in the Bible, and just doing your best to try to live up to the rules that are found in the Bible, and so if that's the majority of understanding of what Christianity is in the first place, then it's like, well, of course conduct matters because, well, that's what Christianity is all about, trying to manage our behavior and mod- manage our sins and modify our behavior. And what we're kind of coming to this question of is, well, if if we really are understanding what the gospel declares that this is actually not by our works, that is 100% by God's grace. In fact, our little launching pad verse that we've looked at all five weeks, including this week, it's up on the screen, it's Ephesians 2, it says, for you have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift, not of yourselves, it's a gift, Is a gift of God, not a of a result of works, least any man, anyone should boast, so that no one can boast about it. And so we when we really look at this and say, wow, this really is everything we have in Christ, our salvation, which is everything. It's, uh, you know, these, these big theological terms, our justification, our sanctification, our righteousness, our, you know, all these big words. It's all by grace through faith. It's all of Him and not of us. So therefore, the real, I think, logical question that flows out is, does it even matter then how we live? Does our conduct even count if this is all by grace and not by our our works. And every week I've thrown in a different, you know, verse like this verse. We looked at one in Jeremiah that says that the heavens have to be counted, the universe has to be counted, uh, and the core of the earth has to be traversed in order for the Lord to to kick us out of His presence. Well, when is that going to happen, right? When are we going to measure the universe? You know, every time we get a bigger telescope to measure the universe, the universe gets bigger and bigger. And so then we looked at a couple weeks ago, this this verse that says that God is no longer even counting our trespasses. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. And so there it is again. Well, wait a second. If that verse is true, 2 Corinthians 5, and he's not counting our trespasses, then does it matter how we live? And this week, here's another verse that, that is just is, is shoots, you know, it, it forces us to ask this question. It's in Romans chapter 4 and it's quoting David from the Old Testament. But Romans 4, I think, what is it, verse 8? Yeah. It says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. So let's ask the question, are you a blessed man or woman Well, according to Ephesians chapter one verse three, it's not on the screen. You can write it down or look it up on your own. It says, "Blessed be the Lord God of our Father of of our the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what every spiritual blessing." So, if you are in Christ, then you have been blessed with what every spiritual blessing. So, ask yourself the question: Are you blessed? Yeah. Well, here's what that means. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. So if you are blessed, I mean, if you are in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual gift, every spiritual blessing, I should say, then that means that you are in this category that the Lord is not taking your sin into account. So what's the logical question when we actually examine what the gospel actually is? The logical question is, well, then does it matter how we live? And that's why we've taken these five weeks to examine this of, well, does it matter how I live? If he's not even counting my sins, accounting, that's like a that's a that's a that's a, a, a technical term of accounting, of you know, taking tally marks of sin. That's how I thought Christianity really boiled down to. How many tick marks of sins is God holding against me so then I get to heaven, well, the size of my mansion, the square footage, you know, the amount of bling that I'll get is all dependent upon how I do and what I do here on earth. Anybody else have some sort of concept like that, maybe a little bit? It might not be exactly, but some sort of concept like that? Yeah, I mean, sure. But when we see what the gospel actually is, it blows that thinking to smithereens, I'm going to start my clock here because last week I didn't, and it went way too long. Sorry about that for last week. Um, and so when we see this and we see he's not taking our sins into account, I think the logical question is, well, then does it matter how I lived. And we can't, we can't, we can't recap all four sermons in this little five-week series, you know, in this one minute. Um, so that's why they're on the pod- podcast. I encourage you to listen to them. But the first week we saw... Uh, very very quickly, how um, God actually is not dumb, believe it or not. God didn't just forgive us of our sins, but He actually plunged us into death, killing the entire Adamic race in Christ, so that a whole new race, a whole new people, could actually be raised. Galatians 2.20, it's not just, you know, it's not just good for your bumper stickers and your coffee mugs. It's actually true. I have been crucified with Christ. You died. So it's not just that you've been forgiven. You have been forgiven. But you died, and a whole new you has been born with new desires. that are the same desires as the Lord's. A new creation. Yeah, sure, there are still old desires, sinful desires that are in your flesh, the desires of sin itself, but that's not your desires. That's what, that was the first week. Then the second week, we looked at how we are actually God's workmanship. We're actually created by God. Think of the greatest painter. Think of the greatest, you know, con- uh, construction worker, the greatest musician, and you you were amazed at what they can do. I, I remember standing at the bottom of one, one World Trade, you know, the new tower, and I'm just like, how in the world can man design this? This is just Amazing. Well, the handiwork of those architects and those construction workers was just flawless. Well, imagine the handiwork of God. You are His handiwork. So how flawless are you, Lou? You see that, Jeff? You are His handiwork, the new creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That was the second week. So He not only you know, forgave us and created us new, a new person, but he, we're actually his handiwork. The, two weeks ago, we saw how uh, this, this uh, we started seeing how it actually starts coming out, how this perfect, created, holy, righteous life actually starts coming out. This was in Philippians chapter 2. He says that you work out your salvation with great fear and trembling, meaning you work it out with no confidence in your flesh. For, or because, it's God who's at work in you. He's the one who's doing. You don't, you keep your hands off of this thing. It's him who's doing it in you, both to will, that is to desire it, and to do it. Who is it that brings godliness from you? It's God who is at work in you. You see, we think it's up to us. We think we gotta try harder. We gotta do more. We gotta sign more commitment pledges. We gotta, we gotta, but it's actually, we work it out with great fear and trembling because it's he who's at work in us. And then last week, we looked at the role we do play, because we do play a role. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you remember, and these competing uh, ways in which righteousness is worked out of us. And the, the, the climax of that passage was 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which should be on the screen, I think, maybe. Yes. He says, we do do something. We look in a mirror. He says, we with unveiled faces, we beholding as in a mirror, we look somewhere, we look in a mirror, and we look in the mirror, he says, We've got to see what really is there, the very glory of the Lord. And as we see who we really are, the very glory of the Lord, a new creation created in his handiwork, created as his handiwork, we become, over a lifetime, transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So we do have a role. The role is we've got to look in the right place, we've got to believe who we really are. We're not, as born again believers, we're not worms, you know, dirty, rotten sinners that have been saved by grace. No, we have died and we've been created new. A death has occurred. If we believe that the gospel is the death and burial of Jesus, of Jesus, fantastic. But let's not stop there. Let's believe the whole gospel that you died, and you were buried, and that you've been raised a new creation. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what actually provides us the instructions for how to live this godly life how do we do this how is this this mirror thing how do we actually become transformed on the outside to what we are on the inside um and the role that we play in this Uh, anybody remember those commercials um that i i stayed at a holiday inn express last night anybody remember those there's a whole marketing campaign for Holiday Inn Express. If you're unfamiliar, basically, you know, you're in a crowd, and all of a sudden, you know, some somebody starts talking with all sort of technical garbage, you know, and jargon, and they're like, oh, are you a doctor? And are like, no, I'm a garbage man, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And so just because you stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, all of a sudden, you are, you know, brilliant and whatever. There was this one commercial. It said uh, uh, this guy starts passing out. He passes out, and... Uh, this guy comes up to help him, and he's like, Does any, did anybody happen to stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? And uh, this guy comes up, he says, well, I, I, I didn't, but I'm a doctor. I can help the man. And, and the guy, he's like, no, no, no. Does anybody, did anybody stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? But the, the idea is, is that, you know, um, there's a confusion of identity. Just because you stay at a hotel doesn't mean that you know how to perform surgery or to, you know, uh, whatever these different commercials were and there's an identity issue there's a function issue that we've got to determine what is the purpose and the function of the law and what is the purpose and the function of grace because if we don't get that settled and clear and firm in our hearts and our minds then we're going to live a life of confusion and a live a life of double talk and that really defines the majority of my life up until 31 years of age Uh, I was double talk Davis. I'd say things like, you know, believe in Jesus and he forgives you of your sins. Fantastic. And then I'd say, well, until you sin, and then you've got to get more forgiveness because you've sinned again. Well, that's double talk. Did he forgive me or did he not forgive me? What do I need to do in order to get more forgiveness for all the sins that i have been forgiven of? And so we've got to figure out this this identity of what is the law, what is its purpose, and what is grace and its purpose. Because if we go to the wrong source, maybe law did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but if we go to the wrong source for how to live, we're going to actually spiral into a direction that we don't want to be. Here's some of what I'm talking about. First Corinthians chapter um, 15, verse 56. We've seen this passage before. It says, the power of sin. Okay, so what is it that actually empowers sin? The power of sin. Think of a motor, an engine. What, what, what makes that motor work? What's the fuel? The power of sin is the what? Law. So who cares if law stated the Holiday Inn Express last night? Law-based living according to Paul, will actually fuel sin. Now, I'm going to take a quick little survey. You don't have to raise your hand. With sober minds, who of you wants to live a sinful life? You want to live a sinful life. I hope, hopefully, not many of us, all right? So the question is, if law is what empowers that, then why would I go to a law-based living to try to not sin. You see this? See the conundrum we have? But we think with our minds that laws, instructions, right, you know, the, the commandments like we looked at last week, those are going to show us how to live, what to do, what not to do. Even when we do the laws to very, very well, then all of a sudden this thing called pride can start even to creep in and say, well, look what I did. Look how good I did it. So law is the power of sin. So if you go to law to learn how to live, the apostles are just saying, man, we're going to the wrong place, and we're going to end up actually empowering sin in our members. So what's the solution? Where do I go? Where do I go for instructions on how to live? God's given me a new heart. He's given me godly desires He's given me a mirror that I can see who I actually am. Where do I go to actually see those things start coming out? Where are those instructions? And that's what we're going to see in our few minutes we have remaining in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. The apostle Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Nothing new there. Whether you've been in church your whole life or never been in church, this makes I think good sense. The grace of God appeared to bring salvation to all men. In fact, this was the foundation of the Reformation back in the 1500s. All of a sudden, the things that the church was teaching just didn't add up to what they were reading in the scriptures. And you know, we don't have time to get into it, but the church did a lot of of uh, made a lot of effort to try to keep the common people from being able to even read the scriptures. And so all of a sudden you get these people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Erich Zwingli, all these different people who, who start saying, wait a second, the Romans and Galatians and Titus here says that it's the grace of God that brings salvation, not us doing certain things. And so there's a huge reformation that happened in the 1500s to solidify that it's grace that brings salvation. And we're all good with that. But is that all that grace brings? See, if we just stick with some of the reformers, we'll say, well, grace gets us in the door. It's the, it's the Jesus and his grace towards us that gets us in the door. But now, like the, the Judaizers, we've got to come back to law-based living in order to really become what we could become in Christ, in order to really curb our sinning. But it's interesting what Paul says on this. Paul says that grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But look at this. The grace of God has appeared, go to verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So what is it, or who is it, I guess, that is instructing us to deny ungodliness? Who? Grace in the sentence is grace. It's actually grace that is instructing us. It's grace that actually teaches us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. I find that very shocking because, again, in the first 30-some years of my life, I I was clueless about this, that it's not just grace that brings salvation, but grace actually brings the how-to. Grace actually brings the instruction. This word instruction comes from a word that we use for even discipline or training. If you think of an athlete uh, who's training at the Olympics coming up in a couple of months, they're they're training to to win the the gold medal, to, to, to win a prize. They are training themselves to do what they have to do in order to be successful at the Olympics. Well, it's the same concept that grace not only brings us salvation, but grace actually brings training. It actually teaches us. It is our guide for how to deny ungodliness, how to deny worldly desires, how to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. Again, let's take a quick little survey. Who of us wants to deny ungodliness? I mean, who of us wants to live sensibly? right? I mean, that's the desire that God's put in us. That's the new creation. If you're born again, you have a new desire. Sure, sin's desires are still in your flesh, but I'm talking about your desires. Your desires are the same as the Lord's because he's birthed them in you. That's That's the new heart. And so if you're reading this, like I'm reading this, it's like, so it's not just grace that gives me those desires, but it's actually grace that brings, that teaches me how those desires come into real life so I can live sensibly and godly. And I love how it says, in this present age. He wrote this 2,000 years ago in a very wicked generation. I mean, we think sometimes that America is kind of wicked. Look, these places, the island of Crete where they were, you know, where, where Titus was living, where Paul wrote this to him, the island of Crete was one of the most wicked places, one of the most pagan places in the entire Roman world, much like Corinth, if not even worse. And so what Paul is saying, look, guys, it's not grace brings salvation. Okay, that's great. And then we've got to go back to Moses in order to learn how to live. Grace brings both salvation, and it also brings instruction. Grace is what teaches us. Whose life does this sound like? Think about people whose name starts with a J and ends with an Isus. Whose life does this sound like? Denying ungodliness, denying worldly desires, Living sensibly, living righteously, living godly. Whose life does that sound like? Jesus' life, doesn't it? This is what's so awesome. Who is best positioned to instruct us on how to live Jesus' life? Jesus. And where does Jesus now live? Come on. In you. How cool is that? So we're not talking about stone tablets. We're not talking about, you know, uh, things to try to live up to. We're talking about living out someone's life who's already living fully in us. I don't really have the time to give the background of the whole letter of Titus, but really, really quickly, you know, Paul lands in, in, in Crete, and, and he starts, what he does, you know, almost, it's a, it's a, it's a broken record. It happens all the time. He, he starts leading people to the Lord. They start trusting in Jesus, and then slowly but surely, these other, the other groups will come in and say, hey, Jesus is great, but we've got to do Moses also. And so again, Gentiles were being converted to Judaism in order to keep the laws, in order to keep the rules, etc. And Paul, read a little hobby horse for a second. Is that all right? Got time for that? People think Titus is just a book about being an elder. Titus is a book most people think about the instructions for what an elder ought to be. Yeah, there's details about eldership in the book of Titus, but listen, the whole point of Paul's desire to set up elders was to defend against this false gospel that was coming in that was saying that it's Jesus plus something else. You see that? So if we just think it's about elders and requirements for eldership, hey, that's in there, but there was a purpose. And so what Paul is saying Guys, the reason we need these elders, the reason we need people who are solid in their understanding of the gospel is because it's the grace of God that brings salvation, but it's the grace of God that actually takes us to where we want to go. I hope that makes sense. But we want the same desires, the same life of Christ, the life that Christ lived. We want that because he gave us the desires. And the competing theories are okay, let's look at Christ's life and let's just do our best to emulate it, which maybe some good things will happen as a result of that, but, you know, a lot of times we try to do that out of the power of our own flesh. But what I think the Lord really wants of us is to look at who He is and who we are now in Him and actually let Him. How many times in the New Testament do you hear Paul say, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ? Let, 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 all this lets. And so we let him. We give permission for him to actually live through us. So here's a question we're going to close out with. How does this happen? Let's Let's get practical here. How does grace instruct us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus? It's great that it does, but how does it? And I was debating on, on how much into the weeds to get into this, and maybe we'll just get a little bit, you know, if this, if this is edifying great, if it's not, just maybe zone out for about three minutes and come back in. In the Greek, the word grace is the subject of the sentence. Oh, now he's not talking about grammar. All right. It's the subject of the sentence. It's a noun. In the Greek, it's called the nominative case, which means it's the subject of the sentence, okay? So the subjects have a verb. The verb is has appeared, Okay. But there are a couple of adverbial, what's an adverb do? It modifies verbs. It describes what the, the verb is doing. There's a couple of adverbial participles. Oh, great. Here we go. We're talking about participles. But this is very, very important. And the way that participles work is you have have in order to know who it's talking about, they have to agree in case. And so instructing this, this participle right here is nominative case as well. And there's only one other word that's nominative, it's grace. So we know that instructing actually is modifying grace, showing how grace works. Grace is appearing to provide instruction. Anybody with me? Maybe not. Zone back in in a second. The next verse says, verse, what is it, uh, 13? It says, looking. Now, this is also a participle, a nominative adverbial participle. So that means that it is modifying a nominative noun. What was that nominative noun? starts with a G and ends with a race. Grace. So grace has appeared, and grace has appeared looking. That's what I want us to understand. Because if you, anybody have a, uh, well, I'm not going to say the translation because it's not about translations, but there are translations, very common translations. My daughter was just given one of these translations the other day in preschool graduation that that they don't do that they say they turn this verb looking this this participle into a whole other subject saying we are looking but that's not what paul writes grace has appeared and grace appeared is looking at something now we've got to understand that so if all that was like what in the world just get this grace is anticipating something okay can you you follow me Grace is looking for something. Grace is excited about a reality that is not yet full. We understand this. So grace has appeared. Grace is instructing. Grace is looking for something. So here's our question: How does grace instruct us? Is it by a, a, a list of of, of instructions? I don't think so, because now we're back at law when we think that way. Look at verse 13. Here's how I think grace instructs us. It says, grace has appeared looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, I think that grace instructs us, grace trains us, grace disciplines us. Listen, this is so big, this is so cool, by showing us where to look. Think about that. Where does grace look? Paul says that grace is looking for some other hope, some other reality, some unseen reality. Where does law look? Let's think about that for a second. Where does law look? Does law look into another reality? Where does law look? Looks right here. Stares you in the face. As Andrew Farley says, grace is, I mean, law is 613 bony fingers pointing at you, saying you didn't and you should have. The law is looking into this world to show us something that we could never match up. But grace is not looking into this world, grace is looking to a blessed hope a whole other reality, a whole other kingdom, a whole other existence, a whole other place called the very kingdom of heaven, where there's a place unlike this place, this place where we have trials, we have tribulations, we have problems, we have sin. Uh, just today, you, you guys were telling me about your, your uh, little goat that passed away the, last night. Why does that happen? And Bob said it, we're in a fallen world, or maybe Kathy said it, you know, we live in a fallen world, a broken world. That's what this world is like, and laws pointing at this world. But there's another world. Need I remind us about Jesus with Pilate, where he was on trial, and Jesus and Pilate is looking at this world, and Pilate says, "Hey, is anybody going to come say you really the king of these Jews?" And Jesus says, "What? My kingdom is not of this what Realm. realm. It's not of this world. If it was, man, you would see all sorts of soldiers. But because it's not, my kingdom is of another realm." And listen, that's where grace looks. That's how grace instructs us to live godly. Grace is saying, don't look at this world. Look at the reality that is unseen. What does Paul say at the bottom of 2 Corinthians 4? He says, set your eyes not on that which is seen, but that which is what? Unseen. See, Paul is teaching us where to look. See, so often we wake up and we look in the mirror and we see the failures of this world, the failures of this life. We watch TV, we read the newspaper I guess people still read the newspaper, but we, we look at the, we, 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 we iPad the newspaper or whatever, but we read all the problems of this world, and we get distracted from a whole other reality. And I'm just saying to you that grace of God not only appeared to bring salvation, but it appeared to give us instruction on how to live, and instruction number one is to know where to look. Where are your eyes set? Are they set at this blessed hope of another reality, of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or are our eyes focused on the junk in our lives, the junk in this world, the disasters around us? I'm just saying, why not we look where grace looks? And maybe we'll start living as grace would have us live. Uh, grace is looking somewhere it teaches us by showing us where to look um, make sure i got it okay so it's looking beyond if you want to write two like um like a one it's, grace looks beyond it looks beyond this world to another world if you want to do notes i don't know if you like that sort of stuff it's looking it looks beyond and that's what we just talked about it's looking at this hope you know we think of hope and we think of like you know man, I, I, I hope she asks me to prom, you know, like, I hope, you know, that's what we think of when we think of hope. But hope is not that in the New Testament. Hope is an absolute unseen, but an absolute reality, confidence. And that's where grace is looking, a whole other place, for that reality to be seen by all, for the appearing of the Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace instructs us on how to live by showing us where to look. Look beyond this world, and what do you see? It's like the passage we saw last week. We see who we truly are. But there's a second place it shows us to look, and it looks behind. Look at this last verse, verse 14. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this is where grace also looks, who gave himself. Now we're talking about past tense right? It looks behind. It remembers, this is Memorial Day, and what a perfect day for us to remember w- what Jesus did. And so grace is always looking beyond this realm into another realm, into one that actually is forever and permanent. This will all fade away, no matter how many houses we're trying to pay mortgage on right now. Can I get hey amen? It'll all fade away. <laughs> but there's another reality one that is eternal, and grace is teaching us to look there, but it also teaches us to look back, reminding us what Jesus did, who gave himself to redeem us. And look, look at this, from every lawless deed. That's every single sin, every single one you could think of. Multiply it by a few, sprinkle some more sin on it, Every lawless deed, you've been purchased from that. You've been rescued from that. And a lot of us, not pointing fingers, but done some major sinning in our lives. Right, Jim? We've done a lot of sinning. But the grace of God, Jesus Christ himself, has purchased us. So where does grace teach us to look? Look beyond this realm into another, but to always be looking back to the cross for what Jesus actually did. Every lawless deed, and, that's not all he did, he purified for himself a people, a people for his own possession. We've talked about this before, so I won't talk about it long now, but God has, has had a desire from the beginning, I think even before the garden, to have a people of his own possession. We, we read about that. We can see that uh, visibly with the people of Israel, but a people of his own possession, and that's what he housed now in you as a new creation, You are his. You are the very prized possession of the Lord. Like put, can I say put that in your pipe and smoke on it? Is that too much? I don't know. Put that, put that somewhere and dwell on it. Right? You, Steve, you people of God's own possession. And look how he closes this little passage. Zealous. Oh, here we are. For good works. That's your nature. You are a partaker of the divine nature, Second Peter chapter 1. So you are actually zealous for good works, but the good works that you desire, that God's desired in you, that he works out of you, are never going to come as we continue looking to the stone tablets, to laws, to rules, to regulations for how to live. They will only come as we follow the instructions of grace and look where it looks, looking beyond the veil, beyond this world, and looking back to the cross. For Those two things, as we look there, we will begin. Whose life was that that was being described? The life of Jesus? As we look to who we really are in another realm, And as we look to what Jesus did for us, the natural, supernatural byproduct of the renewing of our mind is the very life of Christ being lived through us. Sign me up for that. So does conduct count? Well, he made us new with new desires, with with a, a new heart, He lives in us to work through us to bring these new desires out. And he even instructs us on how to get there by showing us where to look. Does conduct count? I think it matters, but it matters in a whole other way than I ever thought it did. See, as I said earlier, I thought it meant, you know, it mattered. Like, again, the size of square footage or, you know, how close my mansion is, you know, to St. Paul's mansion. You know, that sort of, you know, silly thinking. But really what we're talking about is you and I waking up every day and being in this world who we already are. Righteous, holy, redeemed, rescued, beloved, etc., but if we never look where Grace looks beyond this veil, if we never look back to what he actually did for us we will never see it happen because we're continue looking at law which actually empowers our sinning. so as we wrap up this morning, you guys can come up uh, Hart and Craig, or no not Craig, uh, April, Leela, whoever um so the question really comes down to where where do you look? Where are you looking? Where are you looking for for how to live a godly life? We we have the choice. We have a choice to make. We can look in a lot of places. We'll pass our offering baskets in a little bit. I won't let you go without that. <laughs> um, we have a choice to make. Where are we going to look for instruction on how to live? our journey marker is simply, as I look where grace looks, I live as Christ lives. You see that? As I look where grace looks, beyond this realm to another realm, the blessed hope of the appearing of the Son of God, and as I look back at the finished work of Christ, as I look where grace looks, I end up the byproduct, the supernatural outworking of the Lord himself. It's, he takes the credit, you know. We don't take a picture of Lou today, and then, okay, Lou looks at Grace, where Grace looks for a week, and we take a picture of Lou a week from now, and we say, good job, Lou. It's Christ. It's him. He's at work in us, both to will and to do it. All glory goes to him. We just set our minds where Grace looks, beyond this veil and behind to the cross. As I look where grace looks, I live as Christ lives. When my sister was learning to drive, I was younger than her. So, you know, I, it was a very trying time in my life. Um, I remember sitting in the back seat in a little, you know, 1980-something um, Ford Escort. You remember those little hatch- hatchback things? And um, we were driving down the road. And my a parent, maybe my dad, I don't know, was sitting in the passenger seat. My sister was driving. I was in the back seat. And something dropped. I don't know if it was a soda can or, you know, I don't know, something dropped in the floor. And my sister, you know, having driven for like two weeks, and so she's like, you know, an expert, she decides, you know, I've seen mom and dad reach down to the floor to pick something up. So I've been doing this thing long enough. I can do that. And so And, again, I've got a window seat for this, you know, right right in the middle, sitting on the console, you know, sitting on the hump right there in the back, you know, and I see her look down to grab the thing. Anybody see this? And I'm looking, and I see my life, my, like, you know, I'm 11, you know, flashing before my eyes as we start heading into a ditch. You know what happened to my sister? She went, the car went, where her eyes went. How many times do the apostles tell us to set our eyes on Jesus? You see that? Where we look matters. And if we're not looking where grace looks, then it's just a frustrating existence. So the call this morning is, guys, let's look where grace looks. Look, beyond this veil, there's distractions, sure. And let's look back at what Jesus has, in fact, done. You know, maybe you are living a life of frustration. You don't believe that you have any value. You don't believe that you have any worth. Well, what happens if you start looking beyond this world to who you really are in Christ, the prized possession of the Son of God? What does that all of a sudden start doing to your net value, right? Well, Maybe you're struggling in a marriage where you have, there's no love reciprocated back to you. And so you live constantly inadequate feeling of rejection by your own spouse or family member or whatever. I don't know your situations. But what if... We slowly, over a lifetime, start looking where grace looks, seeing the true nature of who we are, the very beloved of God himself. I'm just saying, if we keep looking here, we're going to keep on getting what we've always got, frustration and anxiety and just garbage. But as I look where grace looks, this amazing thing happens. I actually start living as Christ lived. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, for the power of the very grace of yours, the grace of God. It's not just a concept. It's not just a a theology. You know, I'm convinced it's a person, and it's Jesus himself. Jesus, the very personification of your grace. And Father, I just pray that we would be instructed by this power of grace, this person looking where he looks seeing what he sees great expectation for a whole other life and looking back at what you've done Father we don't know how to handle being loved by you like this but Father it doesn't change how much you love us in Jesus name we pray Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.